Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Game Prototype, a horror game. Perfect for a total beginner to make your own game prototype in Unreal 4. Within the We Make course, you can choose from three disciplines. Design 3D art or UI, UX artists. Even learn all three at no extra cost. In addition, you'll have a game industry professional meeting with you every week to guide you through the weekly assignments. If you're interested, you can pre-register for the course anytime before class starts. We are taking in a limited amount of students to keep the learning experience intimate and personal. Email BrandonFam at GameSchoolOnline.com for more info. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time of the week. It is another episode of the Game Dev Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Larry Charles, and of course, about my breast fat, my breast fan. What? My I'm not doing that. <laughs> Trumpism. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is an awesome episode with our special guest, Marcus Montgomery. How are you doing, man? Hello, so hello, nice. hello. Well, hey, very glad to be on the show. He's having a deep voice contest with you over here. <laughs> yeah, I can get real Barry White with it. <laughs> All right. We'll be Welcome, up here man. on the other scale. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So Marcus and I actually have interviewed each other before. Well, he interviewed me uh, back in the day for his website, We Are Game Devs. And it's only fair we're bringing him on, returning the favor, because he actually has way better stories than I do. So, Marcus, thank you for joining us. Oh, well, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm just happy to be able to return the favor. Amen. We All right, Marcus. Uh, would you, uh, if you don't mind, kind of share with our audience a little bit about your background? Uh, I am a game designer by trade. Right now, I am the lead game designer over at Limbic Software. Um, they are a mobile game company, makers of Zombie Gunship, um, Tower Madness, and a few other titles. Um, working on the next big thing there. Um, I, prior to that, I came up through the trenches um i go way back i started off at sega as um as an intern Mm -hmm. um i got in the industry back in 95 working in creative services yeah Yeah, so it was like creative services designs packaging and i had no idea what they did till i got there Mm -hmm. and i was like okay and i was doing grunt work for the most part and then i um got an opportunity to interview for test and uh was blessed to be interviewed by some really good people who saw something in me and said hey this guy could be a tester and i tested at sega um and then that kind of just started off the trajectory in the industry um because sega in my opinion was in back in those days and still kind of is in some respects maybe not so much recently it was like high school in the industry Mm -hmm. everybody came through there and if you knew somebody from there you were connected Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have moved up into uh high profile areas since then um so that's been a great connection for me throughout my my uh experience but from i tested at sega i tested at sony for a bit tested over at namco then back at sega and then um someone that i work with at sega got me an opportunity to interview at cyclone studios for a game designer Mm 
And I had no idea what a game designer was at the time. I was like, what does that mean? He was like, just go play with the Warcraft 2 editor. It'll be fine. And once you do that, you'll know exactly what a game designer does. And I was like, all right, whatever. And then they hired me, much to their... uh, I don't understand why, quite frankly. But, you know, that was the luck part. You know, back in the day, you didn't need experience. You just needed gumption. And, you know... um, so uh, I came up through there. Um, I actually worked with the infamous Kudo Sonoda um, okay, okay. You know, of uh, Xbox Connect fame and now the HoloLens. Um, and he kind of got me to understand what really a game designer does. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I've worked at Sony um, on Jet Li Game. I went over to Backbone Entertainment and worked on a couple Capcom projects and Dance Central 3. And then I moved over to Kickside for a little while, worked on an ill-fated tome, uh, MOBA, and then um, went over to Glue for a very short window. And now I'm over at uh, Limbic Software. Yes. And that was a long-winded, long, long-winded uh, update of what I do. <laughs> So now that you know what a game designer does and what the responsibilities and expectations are, how do you like designing games? It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> you know, it's like, because uh, much of what I've done is try to work with constraints. Okay. Right. There's always been constraints, and I'm still waiting for that team where I'm like, let's just shoot for the sky, you yeah. know, and just make stuff. Granted, within reason... But I think many of the projects that I worked on were kind of under the gun. And the one that even came close to trying to be that project that was supposed to be everything was the Jet Li game. And I don't, I was really young when I actually started. And looking back, I think we were all kind of young in some respects. And we weren't quite sure what we had. And we just squandered our time. It could have been a lot better. But as a game designer, I, I, there's a lot about it I love. I mean, it's it's solve it's problem solving constantly every day. You come in and you're like, it's either like let's solve this problem today or that's future Marcus's problem. You know, it's <laughs> it's like this is the solution for right now and the solution for later. We'll just worry about and it's it's fun. It's been good. That's good, man. It's good to have another one of us on that side. Yeah, developers. And in case the audience doesn't know what I meant by us, that is a segue comment because this episode is about diversity in the game industry. And since you guys may not be able to see who aren't listening on Twitch, Marcus and I are African American. I'm I'm still Asian, so I'll be with the (laughs) listeners on this one. I'm still Asian. Right. You're the counterbalance to our conversation. Well, diversifying uh, the game industry um, is probably one of the biggest mission with We Are Game Devs, right? And you were just speaking about you just coming back from a talk about diversifying in the tech industry. Yeah. Um, we Are Game Devs specifically, one of the reasons why I wanted to create it, something I've been thinking about, you know, I've been um, involved with um, an organization, organization called Blacks in Gaming mm-hmm. for many a year. And uh, we had talked about doing interviews and some other things. Um, and when I started thinking about what I really wanted to be doing is I wanted to just I wanted to celebrate diversity in the industry. I mean, yeah. for a lot of times, we like within the past two years or year and a half, there's been a lot of talk about the lack of diversity in the industry and a lot of accusations about, you know, how this tech company isn't doing this and that tech company isn't following suit. And, you know, they're like, why aren't we hiring? Why aren't we doing this? But the reality is um, I see diversity in the game industry. Mm -hmm. And 
and until we illuminate it, we will still accuse that it isn't there. I'm not saying that diversity is solved in industry. I'm very aware that it has not been. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to celebrate the diversity that we do have mm-hmm. and to provide role models for people that might be thinking about doing it. I mean, when I came up, I had, like I said earlier, I had no idea what a game designer was, yeah. let alone that, you know, someone of color could do it. Um, and, you know, I've heard this adage before, it's hard to be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And until we actually show people that there are people like them actually doing it, whether it be a uh, a woman programmer or a Sri Lankan artist or a uh, a, a black black animator, mm-hmm. you may not think that those are even jobs you can even do. Um, mm-hmm. And I started to see this when my wife was featured on um, Black Enterprise, the cover. Whoa. She started getting. Yeah, she started getting emails just from young girls and parents like, I have a son or daughter that wants to get in the game industry. How do they do it? And the game industry is such a niche in the tech field. Like people don't realize, like they think it's big business, but nobody actually makes the connection that you can make these games. Mm -hmm. You know, these games could be made. So I really wanted to just give a space where it just shows people that, hey, there are people doing it. And, um, one thing that I've learned doing these interviews is that everybody's <laughs> journey into games, that dog is amazing. Everybody's journey into games is like a fingerprint. It's They're all different. Mm-hmm. There might be some similarities, but they all have different ways of getting into the industry. And I just want to, you know, illuminate the, the path that one might take to actually get into the industry. Yeah, man. And, you know, part of my own experience on the We Are Game Devs, like I went through and saw like there's, I mean, there's a lineup of individuals from all walks of life who have contributed to the site or offered interviews and advice. And uh, it's definitely something that people should check out. But like my question is, is have you gone to a company that has reflected like an extreme amount of diversity inside the company? Or have you ever been to a group and you're like, oh, yep, here's like the three black dudes and there's the Indian guy and there's like, you know. So, um, anecdotally, most of my experience, and I did a talk on this uh, for a workshop, um, I like to use the phrase one of two. Um, And when I started looking at diversity numbers, one of two made sense. Um, Throughout my career, except for one time, I have typically on average been one of two black people on team. That rule actually does apply over... uh... If you start thinking back, you know, you're probably one of two or one of one. I had one time for like eight months where it was one of three. Yeah. And that was amazing. And I, (laughs) I, I was so happy during that time. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like the start of something. (laughs) But, um, you know, when I started looking at the IGDA, um, diversity numbers and whatnot and started to realize based on the reporting, there's like. 2.8 2.8 African Americans in the industry, 2.8%. Mm. That's that's low. So when you start thinking about it, out of 100 people, that might be two black folks. Yeah. So out of 50, a team of 50, you might see one. Yeah. When I start looking at, you know, team photos, mm-hmm. it starts making sense. <laughs> like I looked at uh, the uh, Bethesda, um, like uh, the uh, Fallout team, mm-hmm. yeah. one of two. I looked at respawn one of two. I mean, this is, this is just kind of how it is. Um, 
that said, you know, that's, that's just blacks. I mean, Latino, it's like seven, Mm -hmm. but that includes, and I think that 7%, I think that includes people who who are of, uh, from European European as well, you know, or even Brazil. So when you start thinking about what are the numbers of brown people from America, which is a unique segment, it might even be lower. So, but as far as teams or companies that I know are actually reflecting probably a higher level diversity, I know that Phenomena is actually really striving to uh, tackle the diversity. Um, I believe they have like a 50-50 split between men and women. Um, You know, they're trying to be very conscientious about who they're hiring as far as people of color. Um, So it, it can be done, but as you and I know, even just in the game industry, people like to work with their friends. Yeah. yeah. They like to work with people they like. And the reality is, is that our jobs are extremely stressful yeah. and you do not want to be sitting across the, the, the table from somebody that you hate and just do not want to get along with it. Cause there's enough actors of stress within game development as it is. Yeah. So unless you have friends that don't look like you, your company is going to start to look a lot like you. And that's, yeah problems yeah and a lot of that is like you said it has to do with comfort zones you know and there's a lot of buddy buddy employment there's a lot of nepotism and things like that which kind of hurt diversification yeah you know because outside factors that have nothing to do with your ability to perform a job kind of work against you um but i will say this the main thing that you did hit on that i want to kind of underline with this statement is there aren't a lot of people available You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So, like, I can understand if a company is like, you know, we don't have problems hiring different types of people. We encourage that. But, like, you know, we're in an area that is predominantly X or, you know, the people who are, I guess, close to us in their or excuse me, geographically. There's it's a small, small chance that we'll find five, you know, non-white or non-male developers who can do this specific job. So our pool of viable talent is very limited. So, like, I understand when companies say that. So I don't necessarily hold it against companies that are actively looking but don't find. But I definitely like to highlight companies if they're like, even though that they know it's going to be difficult, they still try to take a stand and say, yes, but it's important that we continue to enrich the soil. So we are going to go further than what's closely available and try to find people. So if that's what your company is doing, then like I definitely want to give them the kudos on that, man. That's really good. Well, I I will say this. Um... I had mentioned before we got on the call that I came from a diversity talk with uh, Leslie Miley, yes. who had written that Medium post about Twitter and all the um, challenges he had uh, just trying to to confront diversity mm-hmm. within Twitter. You know, and it was just I don't want to say hypocrisies or just the ironies of ironies just constantly up and down. Like mm-hmm. uh, when he went to his, I don't know if you've. If, you said you hadn't read this, but one of the things that stood out to me is like one of the things he said, we need to be um, addressing diversity. We need to be going out and looking for people of color and women and whatnot and trying to tackle that. And he was like, his boss said something to the effect of, what if we write an algorithm to recognize people's names oh and then figure out you know, if they're diverse or not and then pull them up to the top? And he That's was so like, bad. Exactly. It's like, but he was like the cognitive dissonance is how, how you put it of what yeah. they do is just, or how they think is just, it's off the charts. Yeah. But I asked him kind of a, a question that's directly related to what you just said, Larry, which is, 
when you have tech companies, especially even game companies where you have uh, all these startups, it's mm-hmm. two or three people or five people and they're getting ready to hire. But, you know, every hire is very important because mm-hmm. you're in the beginning of the project and you want to make sure that your the culture remains, you know, cohesive and, uh, and what you want. Like, how do you get these companies to, in their eyes, take a risk on something that is unknown? Mm-hmm. And you know what he said? It'd be amazing if we just had some sort of technology that allowed us to reach a multitude of people all at one time. He said, I know of tech companies that just tweeted out, yeah. I want black engineers. Yeah. Or I want diverse engineers. Yeah. Oh, man. Come on, man. Sounds. That was the response? Sounds like a. Yeah. But the, the reality is, is like, until you put it out there, like, this is something you're actually trying to hire. How are you going? How are you going? How are you going to find the talent? He said. And granted, he started making some other comments. Like, and I and I completely agree. You need to at least say what you want. Mm-hmm. And because when I go to GDC and we have the Blacks and Gaming Party, multitudes of students who want jobs. Yeah, yeah. And so, are you telling me that we can't find people? The reality yeah. is, we can. Granted, you may not find experienced people, which every game company wants, mm-hmm. right? But if we keep hiring the same people, the only people that are experienced you're going to find. Yeah, yeah, you're you're definitely kind of stacking the deck. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that you need to go out and hire inexperienced talent. That's not what I'm saying. And because we all have times where you just need that workhorse, mm-hmm. right? You need that one person that's just going to come in and do the work. And until we actually try and expand the search circle, yeah. we may not actually have diversity and one of the things he said they do at slack which doesn't apply in all areas because i think even within design you can't just hire anybody off the street because design is one of those things i think you just need experience you need time to kind of grow into it but certain engineering positions he said what they do at slack is they give people tests and when you get the the results of the test and people grade it you have no information about that person you don't know their name you don't know what school they came from you just grade them on their test that's wonderful you know, and he said Slack, they make it they don't go to Cambridge to find talent. They don't go to Cal. They don't go to, to these high high profile um universities. They go to San Jose State. They go to, you know, University of Texas, El Paso. Yeah. Because all the people at those high profile schools, they'll be fine. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so oh, I'm not man. gonna sit here and say that we it's just hard. It's hard if you don't try. Yeah. yeah, and game development is about everything's hard, but yeah. how many times you said it's going to be hard, but f it. Yeah, you know. So I think we can do more. I think if I were attacking diversity, and let's say I was a company in a position that could make, you know, macro level decisions, right? Um, one of the things that I would say is I always feel like it's the entry, right? It's those beginning doors that need to be in the areas where there's a more diverse audience, you know. So. Uh, I can say this. If I were to go back to my high school, middle school, or elementary school and tell them that I was a video game designer, I would shock all mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Every single one. And I'm not talking down about these communities, yep. right? But I'm yep. just saying the idea of having a career in video game development is so foreign, right? Like it, it's just not even something that is conceived in these areas because there's a very limited view in a lot of sense. Like, hey, man, I need to do X, Y, and Z so I can get out of here kind of mentality, right? 
So like if I were, let's say, Microsoft, and I wanted to help solve the diversity problem, well, if clearly between the ages of 20 and 40, there's not a lot of diversity to actually promote into a position that's one, deserving, and two, that helps your cause, then maybe you need to start going to the seed in the, in the dirt level and say, okay, well, can we get these kids excited about video game development in, you know, predominantly, I guess, minority areas or not, right? Can we open up programs and opportunity that diversify the seeds that we're putting in the ground so that the fruits and plants that grow that we need will already be diverse? Like, I feel like you have to go back yes. that far. Yes, yeah. and this is exactly something that Leslie Miley was talking about. He's like, you've got all these large tech companies like Google and or Facebook or whoever, you know, opening up tech centers in China and mm-hmm. India. Mm-hmm. To you know, they're like centers of excellence yeah. that give like computers to these to these areas. And he said they would pay. He said when he was at I think it was at Twitter they would pay for 15 engineers to fly to China to interview talent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he couldn't get anyone to pay for him to go to an HBCU and interview talent. Oh man! So yes, these companies could be doing more. I, I, I looked the other day and tried to see if they have any diversity initiatives. And in some cases, they have pages say, like, yes, we are diversity. We're looking for the diverse talent. But just saying that you have this and that you have avenues, if no one knows about it, yeah. you know, if a bear farts in the wood, right? Like, <laughs> like if nobody knows, then yeah. it doesn't exist. So it's, it's about building pipelines. It's about, like I said, if you do not, it's hard to be what you can't see. If you don't know something exists, how will you even try to become it? So, VR game does as a thing. I think more companies could be doing stuff, especially the, the bigger ends. Like Microsoft is a huge company. Uh, and I've been up to their campus and I've seen what they do. And they could totally be doing more. Um, you know, but Sony could be right there. Nintendo could be doing, right, doing more. EA has their own diversity initiatives. But I think they're not publicized in the ways they should you know if the diversity people are doing stuff and they're not really and they're just talking to a particular sector one of the things but i will give ea their props one of the things i thought they talked about uh during e3 that was really amazing was their uh what was that play initiative where they're going to have these events in their games where competition will drive spending or whatever money is earned during that time will actually go to specific um, charities. That's fantastic. And that's the sort of thing I think is good. You're putting a face, you're putting gamers' money into something worthwhile. And it it brings attention not only to your company as being somebody who's thinking outside of just what they're doing, but also to the organizations they're donating to. Well, let me ask you guys this question, right? So obviously... We know why diversifying in games is important, right? So let's speak to the person who is blind to this, where they're kind of stuck in that cycle of, right, we're pumping out games, games are successful. Have you guys had personal experience where you felt your opinions was kind of like shoved aside? Well, like as if like you have a what? especially in design, That's a loaded right? Loaded ass question, man. Well, especially Nobody in design, you know for sure. <laughs> well, I just I want you guys to share some of that because design, especially, right, is is design and programming is uh, unique to games, right? And it's amazing that we have one, what, two of two designers <laughs> with us today, black designers. Uh, 
and you guys have a huge part in every game that you guys work on. And I've mentioned this many times before. Every time I see Larry come out of a design meeting, he just stands out. <laughs> because designers in our company are usually, you know, white males in their 30s, right? Pretty much every game, every game that I've worked on. That's All the pretty much that we've worked on together. Our design team has been kind of similar. Very similar, right? Which is Except okay for because Spark actually Spark Spark had Spark more. was pretty diverse design yes. team. I'm very proud of Spark. Yeah, as so. you should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, any personal experience I to highlight highlight first these? before I even say anything? You <laughs> uh, can okay. sub some names. Well, I, I kind of have to caveat a little of what I'm about to say because. Most of my career as a designer has actually been on like a junior end or mid-level, right? Like I only recently, since uh, working at Section, have stepped into a senior level design where I can actually just say it and it's cool. Like it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. So can I attribute all of my no's to me being minority versus me just not necessarily being able to think on the level that they may have been expecting for the idea that they were looking for? I have mm-hmm. to say that as a caveat first. With that out of the way, I definitely know that there were times where I was just pushed aside because I wasn't fitting the mix at the time or like the way that I was thinking was just completely different and not even because it was bad. Like I, as a senior now can go back and evaluate those situations and be like, yeah, they, they were dicking me over there. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, I mean, like, like buddies hiring buddies is a real thing within the game industry, right? So well, you hire who you know, and I, I'll be the first one to say there's certain people I would love to work with again if i had an opportunity to just snatch them up yeah i'd do it because as i said before game development is hard and we all know this making games is hard and the last thing you need is someone working against the grain you need someone to help lubricate the wheels and if you can find someone you just gel with yeah i'd work with them again so that that i don't fault um certain people with that said um as far as Feeling like I've been uh, my had my opinion discounted because of my color, I wouldn't say that. I would say I've had many a awkward interaction or <laughs> things that I felt were inappropriate. Um, but I will say that having diversity in a room helps, um, which is and I'm thinking of one particular instance, and I won't say the company for you know, the names and people have been changed for privacy reasons, but. Um, <laughs> There was one character we had in the game. He was supposed to be a black man with a big beard. And um, when uh, the guy went out for concept art, the concept artist, who I believe was Asian, made this guy. And he looked like he had like this very long, straight Santa Claus beard that just <laughs> – when he looked at it, it was just wrong. Mm-hmm. And the uh, lead artist I just – amazing artist white gentleman looked at it and was like this just is not right like i mean you can look at any person of a black person and look at their beard and be like this is just there's something wrong here and he just like he's like yeah i just got to redo it and he went back he took you know reference material and redid it and it was fantastic but the reality is is if you don't have that as a reference or that sort of vision or if you are constantly looking at one sort of source material when you try to draw you're not going to have that perspective 
you know, and, and we just had a conversation today at my job where we're like, yeah, well, she changed the color to this. It should be red and green to, you know, indicate, you know, no and this, that, and the other. And then someone goes, hey, red and green are going to be really hard for someone who's colorblind to discern. Yeah. And we have someone on our team who's colorblind. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. The fact that he has that, you know, condition or that view that gets brought to the table. If he's not in a room, people don't think that way. So this is just how it is. When you have people in the room, it makes you consider different views. Yeah. So it's important to have. So here's a story that I can share. Thanks for giving me some time to think back on like a good example. (laughs) That's not really going to hurt any feelings or get people rowdy. Um, So I was working at a company and in our volunteer time, we were working on a game for a specific reason. It's like, this wasn't for the company. We weren't going to profit off this, but we were doing this. Um, and I was one of the designers on the design team and everyone was kind of volunteering their time to be here. So like, I wasn't getting paid for this. Everyone at the table was like volunteering and we were kicking around ideas. And so into the meeting, like I would kick out an idea and then someone would like, kind of like try to shut it down. I was like, Oh, okay. Hmm. Then I kick out another idea later on and it gets kind of shut down. I'm like, oh, okay, same person, right? And then I kick out another idea and he tries to shut it down. So then I start explaining the idea and I say, like, for example, I was saying like, yeah, but this makes more sense if we're going to use a skill tree. So then his rebuttal was, well, what's a skill tree? And Hmm. I'm like, everyone in this room knows what a skill tree is, right? So the fact that you are asking me now is alluding to... Yeah, there being a problem, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's it's not that the ideas are bad. It's not that you know what I'm doing is not contributing. It's you are gut checking me and only me, and that's mm-hmm. what I picked up on. I was like, he never challenged anyone else's ideas, but he always challenged my ideas. Mm-hmm, and it was as soon as he said, "Well, what's a skill tree?" Jeez. Like in front of everybody, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh man. I can't tell you how happy I was when my senior designer offer came through. <laughs> and I was like, hey, guys. You know, I'm out. Deuces. Yeah. Same guy yeah. came up to me. He was like, oh, you're, oh, this and that. And like, oh, and you were, oh, man, yeah, let's keep in touch and all this and all that. I was like, man, you already made such a bad impression. And I was like, Oop. yeah, that, that sucked. That was, a, that was a shitty moment for me. Yeah, it's, it's it, the, the reality is when you're a person of color, um, and I would, and I can only speak for it as being African American, and this has been echoed by many of people. Anytime your idea is not accepted or not heard, there is always a part of you that says, "Well, is it because of my skin color?" Whether or not you actually believe that person is doing it because of that or whatever, that is in the back of your mind. So you're constantly, at least for me, I try to. I'm going to say. I want to use the term overcompensate through extra explanation or trying to make sure that I don't seem threatening. don't seem threatening. Yeah. You know, you can't be adamant about your, your opinion. You have to present it friendly. And so these are things that Larry years of of learning to make that happen. Larry finally like told me about his uh dynamic uh personalities at work versus when we're like just chilling. So I'm so used to them. We went to college together. We worked yeah. at three different places. So I never really noticed a difference. I just thought I'm just talking to Larry. But when he started to like smile and talk, and this is my work voice. Yeah. <laughs> this I mean, is my we, 
we talked about this on a previous episode that like yeah. I I present myself so much more less threatening mm. or, or less tense because I'm not a tense person and I don't consider myself a threatening individual but I have had relationships or just interactions where I would just be being myself and I could see them take what I'm saying out of context yeah. or they would receive how I was saying something in like a fearful way yeah. like if I told someone no that's not a good idea I think we should do this well, you don't have to say it like that. I'm like, I'm just disagreeing with you and coming up with an alternative. Yeah. I said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Let's do it like this, right? Yeah. There was oh. no like, you have to do it this way. There was no, this is just me disagreeing with you, but then presenting why I feel like we should do X, Y, Z instead. Yeah. Like I'm much taller than a lot of people. So I'm already looking down on them. Yeah. My natural voice is like, has more bass than most people. So like, picking up on how people would react negatively to me in the office space or just not everyone actually had this though. Like there's a lot of people who it didn't matter. Like they would just talk to me, but there yeah. were a lot of people who had the exact opposite where they were just fearful and yeah. like they felt uncomfortable dealing with me. And yeah. so I didn't want that to work against me. So I started talking a little more high pitched and like more pleasant <laughs> and I'm serious. I'm dead serious. No, like, I, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Don't. Yeah. I, I'm very aware, like, what does Dave Chappelle say? Um, every black person knows how to talk street and job interview. <laughs> um, and so the reality is is that you, well, as you start to move up the ladder and become more in a management position, you're just dealing with different people. Yeah. And there's a lot of personalities. And just even that starts to amplify anything that you might feel um, might be uh, be racial or societal or uh, gender specific or whatever uh, uh, your perspective might be, those things get amplified because you're now trying to guide people. You're trying to manage people. And it's so much harder because like – and I could see – I've been in those situations. I, Oh, my God. I've been in so many situations where I have been told that I've, I'm unapproachable or yeah. that I'm – uh, coming off as threatening and and it's like what i was just talk- i didn't realize that my mannerisms uh, is there any one particular story that stands out that is safe to talk about <laughs> uh i guess it, if not I can just that would, for a second. would uh yeah. harm people's feelings yeah. and Want them to, it was right, more right. like, there's been some scenarios where it was like it's probably the same guy giving you guys trouble <laughs> <laughs> it's the same designer <laughs> well I bet you that person thinks we're the same person too <laughs> yeah have you had that issue <laughs> Not I witnessed this well uh, I, yeah but, just uh, being mistaken for the one oh, of two yeah. in college there was another guy actually <laughs> There was, in college, there was, I went to a small liberal arts college in Mount Vernon, Iowa. So it was super small. And there was like 30 black people on the campus. And there were there was one other Marcus. Um, and then there was one other guy uh, that I used to hang out with named Jason. And people would confuse me for Jason all the time. Hmm. And they would confuse Jason for me all the time. Hmm. And like I remember I did like – I posed for somebody's like uh, art show. And – they came out to Jason later, and this professor was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I'd really like to 
have you come in and, you know, sit in for one of our art classes as a model because I thought what you did was really, really, really awesome. And Jason said he was talking to him for about five minutes. Then he realized he thinks I'm Marcus. (laughs) It's it's just one of those things. You know, it's just it just happens. That isn't the only story. Like I've had boys who've been out in the streets. This is just Iowa mess where somebody rolled up on him. Some girl and was like, aren't you so-and-so? And And he wasn't. But my boy being quick was like, yes, I am. (laughs) Tell me what I did. You know, just so we can get dirty. But stuff like that happens. It's just when you have people who do not see other people of color as a norm. Yeah. There's only one classification. Yeah. You you know, it's like there's no um, uh, there's no differentiation. And that's you learn to take it in stride, um, yeah. especially with this industry being so small. You can't, you can't blow up. <laughs> you yeah. can't become a name for yourself as that guy because yeah. you'll never work again. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it happens enough for you guys to like. All right, it's you know, it's the norm. Right? It's kind of like it. Like to me, Asians, right, in the game industry is very. We're second to white, right? So we're pretty up there. We're not minorities. <laughs> the only time that I've ever been confused with another coworker, I was shocked. Because to me, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and my, my lead at that time was talking to me about something for like five minutes until I realized, dude, I'm not him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was the first and only time that has happened. So I was in shock. Like, how can you mistake you know, two different people? Yeah. yeah. We look nothing alike. So. Yeah, it's, it it's, It sucks because like you see how much attention people put into identifying yeah. you, yeah, right, and that's what gets exposed. And so like at this stage in my life, like I don't react as like, oh, how dare you? Like yeah, when yeah, it yeah, was yeah. first starting to happen, but like it let me know that like wow, you know, when somebody looks in my direction, they're like, oh, that's the black guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. what I mean. Like it, they can stop there because it's so rare to see an African American that that's the label that that's all that they need to put. Yeah. Which is why if another the black guy shows up with mm. any similar type of complexion, yeah, and maybe I'm talking out of my ass here because I'm obviously not a person who's in this no, situation. I, I, but you know well, what I mean? Like they're yeah. like, "Oh, hey, Tav, come do this. I need you." And <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, I'm Larry." You know? <laughs> yeah, you got to correct. And I'm in the mindset now that I yeah. I, I got to correct immediately. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would do that for you, but I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know, it's like. If you're not, if you let it go on too long, it's just a problem. So let's take a moment to, I guess, shine the light on other races and, you know, other minority issues or maybe even not even race, but like sex as well. You know, so like women in gaming also classifies as minority issues because only recently have I been working at companies where I was like, wow, you know, they actually hire like really good, talented females. And there's a plethora of them. I, like, yeah. I spent all this time thinking that it was rare. Little yeah. did I know there was just, you know. Not opportunities there that they were finding or something, but yeah. There's been growth, albeit small, but Mm -hmm. I think the numbers now, at least the last time I checked, is like 22%. So if you think about that, that's like one in five. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still... um, Still really low. It's it's low, but you know, in comparison to African-Americans, it's pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that said, there's a lot more women in the industry, and they're forced to be reckoned with. I mean, women in gaming is a very huge. powerful group, yeah. huge. 
Um, and the fact that there's been a lot of, um, I want to use the term uprising around uh, women's issues in gaming it, in support that's rallied back around it. It's, it's, it's fantastic because it shows that there's at least a base there that can at least put up a fight and say, hey, we shouldn't be you know, ignored or trampled on. So I think not to say that all, you know, diversity solved. Everything's fine. It's totally not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because as you, as we all noted, representation with ga- in games is still an issue. Yeah. yeah, just in the content that's being created. I feel like right now I would just be happy with diversity momentum. You know, like just show me that there's an upswing. Like just mm-hmm. show me that there's increased activity and awareness of you know issues that minorities or just you know small classes go through. And so that helps me right now because, like you said, diversity solved may not happen tomorrow. But if I know that there's momentum, if I know there's trajectory and there's people on board trying to get it to that target, like I'm cool with that for now because I know it's going to take time. Uh, I honestly believe there isn't um, no, say that, a so. doomsayer. It's, it's <laughs> like if you look at I think what the IGDA did something it was like 2014 from 2013 to 2014, like uh, – the numbers of African Americans like went up like point one percent or something. Point one percent. I mean, it that's was something crazy, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like one point one percent, and there was an uptick in women, but you know, in other areas, it's not anything notable. It's not a huge surge. Um, and I don't. I could make suppositions about what is actually the thing that's keeping it from becoming. Um, it's it's probably from both sides, right? It's like. I don't think any of the tech companies are actually going to any of these schools and introducing yeah. how we can diversify. At the same time, we're still hiring our buddies, and uh, I don't know of any company that is actually uh, spending the extra time and, and budget to to go after this problem. I know Apple has uh, at least announced. I think it was earlier this year, or late last right. year, that they had they had some pipeline program with some HBCUs. It might have been Howard specifically. Um, there, but whether or not that's actually enough, because yeah. now you're just looking at one graduating class where, let's say, there's a hundred engineers, um, and let's say even half of them are qualified to work at Apple. How many of them are going to say, "I want to move to the Bay Area"? Yeah, to Palo Alto. Yeah, or Redwood City, where I lived in Redwood City, and it's just not necessarily the the greatest support network. Yeah. You know, which is why they have all these Google buses and whatnot driving through Oakland trying to pick up people who want to be around yeah. culture. And so, um, it's a problem, but I think it's something that they're going to need to tackle in a different way, with a lot more than just saying we're going to try and hire people. We need to think about the support networks that go along with it. Actually, that's well thought out. That's well thought out. But I, so then I guess we need momentum in diversity and not just the job markets, but just the social environments that these people would be moving into, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Like, I, I went to a small liberal arts college in, in Iowa. And when I came in, we had like the largest number of African Americans in any one class that they ever had, probably since like, in 20 years you marcus and jason well it was it was 30 out of like 100 100 <laughs> no, yeah, like thousand students or something crazy right yeah. so but 
what we started to complain about was that, look, you made this big push to have this diversity push. You brought us all in. You made promises, all this. We get here, and there's no MTV. There's no BET. I don't even know where I can go mm-hmm. to get a haircut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, that's a big one at the you know, I mean, like my haircut on you. Like these are these are all like very small, subtle things that just make you feel welcome on a campus or just oh, yeah. welcome anywhere. So it's and think about and this is gonna sound very uh, I don't even know how it's gonna sound, but black women need to get their hair done right, and you just can't go <laughs> right. So if you want to hire a woman who's black you, and bring her to a place. You need to make sure that she has a support network. Yeah, and, and this is this is the same with any uh, diversity. Is like if you're going to be in a place that is not representative of you, you, that takes a certain person. And I can honestly say, I grew up in Wisconsin, which in a small town, but it had what, in my belief, a fair representation of African Americans and um, uh, Hispanic uh, people. So. I felt, and also a large white community. And when I went to school in Iowa, which was like super white, mm-hmm. I felt I was ready to move anywhere in mm-hmm. the States. Right. So for me coming out to uh, California, I was like, this can't be worse than Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But let's say you grow up in Atlanta. Yeah. Let's say you grow up in, in, in Raleigh. New and Orleans you want to move New Orleans, and you want to move to, and you're being asked to move to Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's you want to talk about culture shock. Yeah, it's going to oh. be hard. And and so if if we're not thinking about just the the what people need, it, it's it's different, and we need to consider those things. Oh, that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing you just dropped on on me, man. I didn't really think about. You know, once you're actually in these companies, it's not very welcoming. It's hard to make connections with people you don't have any similarities with, um, especially in design. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that will commonly happen is you see, like, a lot of assimilation, right? So, yeah. for example, I have just adapted to cutting my own hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like, every time you see me with a haircut, I did it myself. Because mm. I had one experience at a Supercuts. I had never been to a Supercuts in my life. Oh, why? No. So, like, let me just explain. No. I was a young college kid, right? And so I walk in. I was like, hey. They're like, hey. I was like, can you guys cut my hair? They're like, yeah, come sit down. And I was like, no, no, no. Can you cut my hair? Right? Like, yeah. I'm being specific. <laughs> <laughs> and so I see the guy, like, go over to his scissors. And I'm like, oh, man, never mind. <laughs> No. So from that moment on, that was when I started cutting my own hair. Did it by myself. Yeah. So when I was in high school or in college, we cut each other's hair all the time because mm-hmm. one, we were broke, but two, it was like we had to go drive thirty minutes just to find a place that could actually do our hair. And at mm-hmm. that point, it was just like screw it, cut my own hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, these things, like we said, are they're small, but they're important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, once a month, twice a month. Yeah. I mean, and it adds up. It's like yeah. every little every day you're doing something, and it's, if it's not there, you're not feeling welcome. So, I guess the the catch twenty two about all that is like one, you know, the company wants to be somewhere where they're going to get good talent and where they're going to have employees who are going to be happy. And given the demographics of who they're hiring right now, like it makes sense for them to be in Palo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. 
but they still have initiatives to try to bring more diversity into their company. So I guess it makes sense if like, oh, well, you know, of course we're going to go to Sri Lanka or of course we're going to go to India because Palo Alto is like, and I hate to say it like this, but it's, it's like I'm bringing individuals into way better conditions, right? Mm-hmm. It may be not familiar, but the conditions are probably going to be a lot better. And I don't want anyone to think I'm talking down about like a Sri Lanka or I'm talking down about India. But I'm just saying that, you know, a company may look at it like it may not be a bad thing or they may not have or understand fully, like you said, Marcus, what it's going to take for that person to be comfortable. It's going to require growth in the job, but it's also going to require a whole lot of assimilation and growth in their personal life. And so it won't make that person comfortable right like they're gonna have to force themselves to become comfortable in that environment which is Mm -hmm. that's the hard thing because everyone else inherently is in their own environment i no yes yes i agree that is possible but i'm gonna say this do you know how hard it is to get a visa Mm -hmm. without company support Exactly. So even with company support. So even with company support, you know, they have to justify all this stuff. So why don't you just go to an American school and just see if you can find some talent? I, I'm not buying it. Like yeah. you make it sound like it's so hard. But oh, no, how no. hard is no, I mean, no, no. Well, I'm sorry. Let me okay. for these for, I mean yeah, yeah. not you, but I mean for oh, the companies okay. to say, Oh, it's it's something and it's it's just easier to make a hard, easier to make a hard sell to someone in a arguably third world country. BS. Yeah, it's okay. come on now. Yeah. Like you gonna pay somebody six figures to be a coder and mm-hmm. come to the bay? Come on, dog. Yeah. You can make a hard sell just as easy to someone in Michigan. Yeah, and it, it it's 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 a choice. Okay. And one of the things is, the thing is is that uh, people take the road that's that's been traveled before. They understand how easy it is to get some of this uh, uh, arguably foreign talent, but doing something different that isn't in their mold like this is the same just this is how people think people are inherently lazy yeah (laughs) like i was working at a company where the marketing department didn't want to really market our game Mm -hmm. they just wanted to pay for user acquisition Mm -hmm. which to me is just lazy Mm -hmm. like if we can't pay for user acquisition why are we going to do like a real marketing push come on we had a new product yeah, do your yeah. job. Yeah, Think yeah. outside the box. Do I mean like? But if you don't want to do anything more than user acquisition, just pay for users because it's really easy and we can target who we want. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah, you you did kind of hurt me when you said, "Hey, like these companies won't go to HBCUs to try yeah. to recruit talent." Like, and I'm thinking to myself, like I've been thinking about that since you said it. I was like, do they not believe in these individuals that come out of these schools? Yeah. Do they think that the schools are low quality? Do they think that there's no opportunities? Or are they worried about this person coming to their company and being very different? You know, like I'm actually looking for why someone would say, I'm not going to look at a group of college graduates from this demographic because whatever reason that they have, I'm going to call bullshit on. Whatever yeah. reason that they yeah. have, I'm going to call bullshit. It's, well, it's, yeah, it, I think the biggest argument might be is that uh, some of these HBCUs, which I imagine, and I, and granted, I have not done any research on this, so I'm going to be speaking off the cuff. And if anyone in Twitch chat or um, yeah. in your forums wants to tell me something different or drop me an email at marcusmontgomery at yahoo dot com <laughs> and tell go. me uh, what is it's some tell me something different, but uh, some of these HBCUs or some of these other colleges probably don't have dedicated game development programs. Yeah. Yeah. But some of these higher profile schools that are, you know, have a certain uh, uh, 
demographic of students, they do. So, and like I said, game development's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and you want to get people that can hit the ground running because they're going to stumble. We, we all know we're going to stumble, but you want to get people. So it's going to be a hard sell for, like, you can't find a game designer at, like, that's ready to go right out of school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Like, you can get a junior, but you're not going to get a solid game designer right out of school. It's very rare. The only time that happens is when Valve hires, like, the winners of uh, yeah. a DigiPen thing. Yeah. Right. And they, they, they just scoop up a whole team that made something amazing and said, you're now game developers. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, exactly. That's, like, that's so, that's like the, the, the NBA draft, right? Like, first round pick, and that's so rare. There's so many people that aren't, um, um, that, that aren't going to get there. But on an engineering side, server engineer, yeah. Come on, dog. Yeah. Come on. You could you can train some people up. They might have to learn some things, but I think in the engineering it's a little easier. And mm-hmm. um so it can be done and I think if we just start thinking about it, game games is just it's like we're an offshoot. I don't want to say we're not tech because mm-hmm. we are, but it's such a unique offshoot of tech that you have to have the love for the for the for the the craft. Because yeah. there's a lot of unique things and a lot of things that you're going to do that are just different. And let's let's play on some stereotypes for a moment and get the conversation real juicy. People are going to get mad at us for this, but I'm going to say it because I think that this could be used as a very obvious entry point. There are a lot of games that the game industry makes, companies make, that I would say their biggest audiences are minority groups, mm. Right. And then the people who make and design and make decisions on those games are the furthest thing from a minority group. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's like that. What's the problem? <laughs> the, problem the problem right there is like. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that. I'm not going to be racist and say I don't believe that these group of my non minorities are going to be able to bridge the gap very well. I'm saying this is like the easiest opportunity to like introduce a group of people who are not commonly seen in the game industry is like, hey, you know what? You love this game. People make this game as a career. You're awesome at this game. Why don't you come and be a tester and get a career started in the game industry? You're already good. I see your Madden points are through the roof. Come check us out. You know what I mean? Like, I hate to just say it like that, but like, you would think somebody would tie those two dots together and solve it and say, well, look, our demographic that we're advertising to, that we're marketing to, None of them are in the studio helping us make this thing. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, I think you can answer it. They don't want to. I think it really just takes a Larry Charles to be up there. Well, you have and, to be in a room and be making to make these change. decisions. Yeah. I, I got to be a check signer. That's what it is. Like, I have to get you to the position to be. yeah. of being a check That's signer. That's the only time. <laughs> if you're not in a room or making decisions, it's kind of hard to affect change. I mean, like, mm-hmm. at the risk of saying something, like, um, Working on Dance Central, okay. um, Dance Central. Like if you look at the soundtrack of Dance Central One, and then you look at the soundtrack of Dance Central Three, mm-hmm. you start to see a shift. Mm-hmm. And when we would watch like playtests, and you see who's playtesting, and then their feedback, it'd be like, "Well, you know, I like the game, but you know, I I just don't like that rap." Or I don't like this. And you're thinking about where Microsoft is and where they're sourcing their playtesters. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 
if you keep getting people who aren't necessarily the target demographic to give feedback, yeah. you're going to make changes based on that. Mm-hmm. One could argue that this is the larger demographic um, and that you should be catering to them, which is why arguably Just Dance did so much better numerically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then look at but look at Empire. Okay. Empire is arguably very targeted to a certain demographic. Yes. And blowing records. Yeah. Like blowing records. So sometimes, you know, what they say you have to lean in. Yeah. And just go with it. And 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 but the reality is unless you have people in the room who kind of understand what you're trying to do, you're going to have this outside view and you're going to do outside view things. Mm-hmm. Um, insert Deus Ex. Okay. You, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like the 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 what is it? What do they have? The augment lives matter or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was that was that was a little that was low. Poor taste. That was low. But their like, excuse was so sorry, dude. Like I look at it and and I am more offended as an artist, yeah, <laughs> than as just on a on a racial level because it's like it's almost lazy. Like to try and and pander to something that's happening right now, but on the other side, it trivializes it. And but the fact of the matter is, is that when you're outside looking in, you think this is just yeah. fertile ground. Yeah. I mean, this is how like games like Hatred get made. Yeah. You just look at it and you're like, oh, it, it'll be fine. It, it's it's my perspective, mm-hmm. you know. And no one's really thinking about how these things might be perceived or how they might have an effect, and they're taking it from their own view, and it's it's arguably thoughtless and insensitive. Yeah, yeah. And you know they're they're pandering to the side that's laughing at the struggle, right? You know what I mean? So it's like these are, these people will find this funny. This is going to be an Easter egg, right? This is it's not them trying to like take a social issue and bring it into relative context for their game. They no. knew it was going to create stir, but in a way that like they didn't think that they'd probably be offending the audience that they're serving to. It's 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 purposefully trying to get uh, an emotional connection without actually thinking how that might actually be perceived. Yeah. And I think they could have just from a creative side gotten the same message across with different wording. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. And this might not be made it better, but I was thinking about it. Like they could have even gone back to like the fifties and used, you know, like remember the old uh, civil rights posters where uh, black men were walking around with like "I am a man." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could have just said "I am still a man." Like mm-hmm. it would have been just a play on that, yeah. but it would have just been. It would have that sort of like mm-hmm. historical. Just yeah. do your research, and it won't yeah. have to be. I don't know. It's just yeah. it just shows you need to have people in the room. That's yeah. what it comes down to. You yeah. need to have somebody in the room to go, you know what? This might be a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> like you just need that one person to be like, Look, dog, I don't think <laughs> you want black Twitter coming from <laughs> <laughs> Well was Deus Ex is in Canada, right? Yeah. So Yeah. I mean like even the, the previous oh. one, uh the one where they had the the one homeless person who talked like they're from nineteen or from eighteen sixty two it was just it just shows that there's just not enough 
and that's you're uncovering you're uncovering a very scary thought right there, right? With and I'm trying to be very PC about how I say this because one, I'm not going to categorize an entire race or group of people just because I've seen one or two people do some dumb shit, right? I'm not that type of person. So what I will say is I also I often worry about am I going to come into a situation where people just don't relate mm-hmm. and they think that my complaint about what they're saying is ludicrous or it has no ground because they don't understand the weight or the severity. They don't relate to the impact or the butt of the joke the same way that I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yes, I completely do. Um, if I don't know where it is and I, and I wish I remember the name, but there was a talk at GDC, I think it was last year or year before. And it was, um, it was like one of those panels or uh, micro talks of sorts where it was like a failure talk where everyone comes in and talks about some game failure that they had done. Mm-hmm. And this one guy talked about how he was trying to make a game using the artistic artistic inspiration of some, I think it was Hopi Indian like characters. Like you ever see those statues of like Hopi Indians and um, that they have, and they have like very colorful headdress and they look like eagles and all this, they have totems and all this other stuff. And he's like, this is really cool. I want to use that for inspiration. He started making all these games and he tried to make different um, mechanics with it and it just wasn't working. And then people start saying, this is offensive. And he's like, no, it's very cute. And this, that, and the other. And he was like, he kept trying all this new stuff. And then he said, well, let me see if I can reach out to the Hopi Indian people and see if they could give me, you know, maybe I'll just work with them to try and mm-hmm. make this more about the culture. Mm-hmm. And the more they talk to him, they're like, this is just, these are very sacred beings. They have, you know, all this meaning. Mm-hmm. And his general final thought on it was, yeah, I just shouldn't do anything with it. <laughs> he was just like, this is just a bad idea. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. as much as I try and make this work, it's just not the realm and it's being insensitive. Yeah. And and he's, one, he does not come from the culture. Two, he didn't have a full understanding of it. And the last thing he thought after, like, months of working on it was, maybe I should talk to the people who are directly yeah. related yeah. to the culture yeah. about this idea. You like, know, that's... and... Oh, sorry. But, yeah. If you think about it, like, uh, was it uh, Never Alone? Was the the Eskimo game? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was made in con- with with Eskimos. With Eskimos, yeah. And so it was done tastefully. It was yeah. done well because you tried to integrate and be very respectful to the source material, and you did your research. The art, the writer who did the um, the writing for the uh, Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. the uh, the one with, with the slave. Was, yeah, with the slave or the uh, one woman who was what passing. The DLC was called. It was like free, cry freedom or freedom cry yeah, or something yeah. like that. And with the woman who had to pass and all the other stuff, fantastically written. Mm-hmm. But they she did her research. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a passing thought. You actually tried to do some research, and that is just good craft. Yeah, you know, like and people are not willing to do the research. Now imagine if it was a World War II game. They do a lot of research. Yeah. I was just reading about Battlefield One and how they did all this research. Do that with the same thing with racial issues. Yes, you'd see a lot more, more uh, higher, higher um, quality, quality stuff. Yeah, and you, to to not treat it as something that would be important is it, it, another issue that gets highlighted, right? To think that like, oh, I know how Indian people are, right? mm-hmm. I know how Puerto Ricans act, I know how Chinese people act, you know. So they they try to write these characters based on you know their personal life experiences and. More often than not, a lot of the people are bringing those experiences from 
hearsay or media, right? Like if I, when I look at a Japanese game and how they treat African-American characters in those games, nine times out of ten, I want to strangle somebody. Right, <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, I keep going back to the, they got the Asian Final Trek Fantasy now. where the guy had the chicken in his head fro, and I was like, fuck, did that just happen? Okay, yeah. all right. I think Final I mean, Fantasy was one of the first games that like pissed me off with that because like Barrett was a hooting, hollering, cussing, never spoke like a complete sentence. Oh man! So oh. like when I was uh, at Sega, they had for the Saturn they had uh, for the Olympics they had Decathlete coming out and okay. Decathlete was released in Japan. It was a great game, and they had a black character in it um, that I was so excited to be playing as, and I was like, oh, it'd be so cool when it comes out. However, when the translation came in, the character's name was Robin Banks. <laughs> so, you know what Sega's fix was? What? Remove the character. Oh, man. Wow. The whole character. So, in America, the character's gone. So, now I'm like, so instead of just changing his name, you yeah. get rid yeah. Of the only black character in the game, yeah, you, you gotta be named though. <laughs> well, I mean, no, the guy was just gone. Like we yeah, just fixed yeah. it. He was Robin Banks in in Japan, but oh doesn't exist God. here in America. That's terrible. This yeah. is you know fifteen twenty years ago. Right? Still though, like that, ugh, that that kind of burns me up. Like oh well, screw it, take him out. You know, it's it's, it's it was probably more work. To remove all the files, assets regarding that character than to just change the string. Yeah. Thank you. It's definitely more work. Jesus. (laughs) It's just changing the text. I just, I can't even. But that was a fix. (laughs) I was like, are you serious? But I was a tester at the time, so what what influence do I have? (laughs) It was just like, and you find out about it later, and it's like, this decision was made so far up the chain, and you're like, Mm -hmm. what is going on? That hurts, man. Yeah. All right, uh, it gets better. Let's let's bring some. <laughs> you know, it, I was it playing. Get better. I was playing like I don't know Tekken the other day. There's a bunch of black people in that game. There's <laughs> lots of minorities. Okay. They even have animals that fight in that game. Way to go, right. Namco! That's right. Diversity. Thanks for holding it down. <laughs> Diversity solved. <laughs> oh man! Although Harada got it. Apparently, I was reading the headline for having over-sexualized women. Uh, in the game, where he came back and said, "That's just a cultural thing. That, we like we like sexualized people, and there's sexualized men in the game as well. Everyone's in bikinis because it's a special outfit or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't read the whole headline, but I was like, <laughs> I don't touch that. It's mm-hmm. just, Honestly, he's got it. I think the game industry just kind of needs to grow up on social topics and issues. Like the fact that if a female complains about experiences that she's having that affect her in a negative way yeah there's backlash Mm -hmm. from male cohorts or even just you know male consumer and i can even just let go of the consumers who like don't make the video games but like the fact that male developers will be like trying to put them in their place Mm -hmm. yep are you kidding me yeah it's it's insane like uh that talk I went to earlier with Leslie Miley, he was talking about he went back to Twitter after he wrote his Medium post and talked to his boss. And his boss was like, the last 36 hours of my life have been the worst ever. He goes, really? Why? 
<laughs> and he's like, I've been getting called a racist and all this stuff, and it's been happening on Twitter. And he was just like, this is what everyone what else faces. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. In, but the thing is, he said when people build these things, they don't see the harassment because it doesn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it doesn't happen to them, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. So they don't build the tools that would mitigate or, you know, uh, uh, hinder um, harassment online. Mm-hmm. However, the minute it happens to them, all of a yeah. sudden, now they're the, on it. they understand. But it isn't until somebody actually gets to view things through someone else's eyes that they actually have that that understanding. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. You're lying. Yeah. Oh, man. that's If I can say any one thing about the suffering in 2016 is like that is the one issue that I keep getting hit in the face with is, Larry, you're, you're, you're not telling the truth. It's not that way. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? That has been the one thing that continually shows up that I continue like I, man, okay, I don't know where I was going well, with that, but well, culturally we've begun to realize that um, facts don't matter. All that matters is your feelings, mm-hmm. and the internet has just amplified this because if I type it online and it's my feelings, I am justified and I sh- I can't be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this attitude has been amplified with our presidential um, and other things. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that, that people don't want to hear experts. Can you say that one more time? I, th- I got a little I said, static. I said people don't want to hear facts. They, people want to hear what makes them feel good. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But you're right, though. They, if someone punches you in the face, you shouldn't have to explain why you feel negatively about it. You shouldn't yeah. have to validate your response. You know what I mean? It's right. like, like that was wrong. Like, why do I have to go through a checklist yeah. of did this happen? Did that happen? Were they yeah. doing this? Did they point at you when they called you the N word? How do you know that they were referring to you in a negative way? How do you know they weren't using yeah. it the way that black people use it? Like as a and I'm like, are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, is this a real conversation between two adults? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this has been shown throughout. Like, I was watching, was it Trevor Noah or something was talking about how, you know, they're talking with Newt Greengrich or somebody, and they're like, here's the facts: they're, that immigrants are not coming in and taking jobs. Numbers are like X, mm-hmm. and Newt Greengrich said something to the effect of, "But people feel like they are." <laughs> <laughs> but the facts don't support it. But yeah. people feel like that's is the reality, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's important. Yeah, you don't discount people's feelings, but the facts don't support it. Yeah. <laughs> we we can't find the numbers yeah. that represent what your feelings are. Not to say that you shouldn't be feeling that, but you should check your feelings. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, but we're in a society where people just want to believe what they want to believe, yeah. and it's they just look for justification, like. It, Look, think about like game reviews. And I remember somebody saying this a while back. People mm-hmm. don't read game reviews to find out whether or not a game is good. They read game reviews to see if it justifies their opinion of the game. Wow. That's that's all you're looking for. It's like I think this game is crap. Look here, here's a reviewer that thinks it's crap too. So you're screwed from the start then. <laughs> it's like that's why I. I 
Like, don't read reviews. Don't read comments. Read what your what your public says. That's what matters. So Who's you either playing? had the customer or you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Are you making money or not? That's yeah. the real reality. It's like, and that's pretty much what Facebook did, or all the Facebook game companies did in the old days. Like, think about Zynga in the early days. Everyone in console was like, "These silly games." Yeah. Everyone in Zynga was like, "Money," <laughs> you know, like and yeah. just happy about it, making paper upon paper. And all people playing those games, not all, but a great segment of them, was enjoying what they were playing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do: is we're trying to get people something that they enjoy, whether or not you think it's fantastic or whatever. F your feelings. It's what these <laughs> players yeah. feel. I'm glad you brought it back to some positivity, man. <laughs> Seriously. So let me ask you this. What do you think is one thing that the game industry immediately needs to concentrate on improving as far as issues of diversity goes? Like do you have like a one thing that is like, hey, look, if we could just focus on this right now, like that's a win for the game industry. Oh God. That's a I mean, loaded. I know there's so many questions. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I don't I honestly think I, I and I I honestly think it's a multi-pronged attack. Okay. Much many societal issues. If you just do one thing, it's not going to be sustainable. If you just say, "Hey, we need to change our hiring practices," it's not sustainable. Um, you know, I, I think there needs to be support and inroads into positions that. Uh, I think there needs to be like internships set up with different schools, mm-hmm. trying to encourage people to come in and work with you. Um, in fact, I mean. I think what I actually, in my heart of hearts, I think one of the reasons why I got into games is because when I wrote, in fact, I have a, I have a photo of it. When I wrote my letter to Sega saying I want an internship, and I sent my resume on my resume, I had all the diversity groups that I had been involved with in at my school, mm. and the person who wrote me back and called me and said, "Hey, we want to hire you." Um, or at least have you come in for an interview or interview for your internship. His name was Lamont something, something. Mm. And when I got there, Lamont was black. Mm. The fact that he was in the room and saw that I had a resume, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can't say that he did a diversity effort, but he said there's something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgive me laughing. Like I'm not laughing cause it's a bad thing. I just, no, you, know, you, just you know what I mean? <laughs> But it's, that's what it takes, right? Yeah. It takes both sides to be there. It's it's to help each other out. I, I'm not going to say that I haven't seen like uh, Alpha Phi Alpha on somebody's resume or something and said, "Oh, oh yeah, I need to call this hey. brother." Oh wait, you're O six? <laughs> no, he's like, no, I'm not. But I'm not. A, oh. I'm not. A, I'm not an Alpha Phi. Oh, okay. But if I start to see a fraternity gotcha. that I know gotcha. is gotcha. has, it's like, oh, I understand. I see. What I'm you're saying. It's like if I see something that makes you go, "Yep, they're diverse." I'm at least mm-hmm. give them a phone call. Yeah. yeah, I promised nobody a job, but I am at least giving you an opportunity, and I'm going to see if we can make it happen. Um, so it's you have to kind of be conscious of it, and I think there is something. I think we could go a long way to people just if HR were to like just scratch off people's names mm-hmm. and just say, "Look at this resume." Mm-hmm. You know, is there are there skills here that you think we could use? Yeah, yeah. I would love that. So I, I think there's something there, and I think we could do a lot better, you know. And yeah, 
because then I mean, then you have to just uh, get around the snobbery of your resume and what games you actually have on there. Because yeah. <laughs> it's always hard. Just if you're doing nothing but mobile games and want to get on the console, it's just. <laughs> And arguably, sometimes on the flip side, that's just as hard to console in a mobile. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I got one last challenge for you. So you've successfully discussed and you know kind of debate on diverse issues with us for a whole hour, and we've battled really bad internet connections to make this episode happen. And I can't let you walk out of this studio with empty hands. So Brandon and I are going to be quiet and just let you promote talk about or enlighten the audience directly with anything that you're working on, involved with, or happy about. Uh, this is your opportunity to speak to the audience and let them know what you're working on. Excellent. I got two things. Uh, first, um, we are gamedevs.com. Yes, check it out. We are gamedevs.com. Go check it out. It has a host of uh, different people who are in the industry um, who can hear about their stories and how what sort of tools they like to use, how do they stay relevant. Um, just a plethora of people. People who've worked in film, people who have worked on top-tier games. Um, just go check it out. we got CEOs, artists, programmers, animators, designers, the whole gambit. Second, um, I've been working with a nonprofit here in Oakland called Game Heads. Um, okay. They work out of United Root Center. Game Heads uh, focuses on low income youth and tries to get youth from ages 16 to 24 and teaches them how to create games. Right. Um, we've been sourcing mentors for this, this year's first time we've been full force. Um, we've got five different teams working on various projects. Um, we're going to have a showcase in about a week from this Saturday. Um, so the 27th, I think, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, the 27th of August here in Oakland at Impact, Impact Hub. Um, and I'm so excited to have these students show off what they've been working on. Um, uh, the executive director has been, Damon Packwood has been really good with the kids. He's been focusing on getting them to tell their own stories because these are stories that would probably never, ever be told. Um, we've got, the first initial project they started was a, and this is the one that got me, me and my wife totally interested and just like, yes, we want to be a part of that. Here's the pitch. Um, it's a game about two people who don't know each other, who had uh, a friend in common pass away. Mm. And uh, to deal with their grief, they meet in a dream and help each other overcome their grief and they have to in each level that they go through represents the five stages of grief wow. mm. and i was like and by the end they both come out of it knowing each other and have helped them you know go through their grief together yeah. wow i know professional people <laughs> who don't have p pitches that good yeah mm -hmm. like i mean how many games have you worked on that don't even sound with the, the concept that strong yeah. we have another one's about a coming of age about a young boy who doesn't want to do his homework and has to learn how to grow up and actually um learn to take the task and do the studying um there's another uh project that is dealing with um the emotional challenges of 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 uh, teenagers and it's a co-op turn-based choose your own adventure of sorts it's crazy it's four player um but it deals with different emotional um challenges such as uh depression and um anxiety and loneliness um that's one of the other projects we've got another project that is uh it's dealing with 
the experience of trying to cross the Mexican border. Mm. And it's like, uh, as you're trying to cross, you get to run with coyotes who are trying to help lead you to uh, across the border. You have to make choices as for um, what will help you survive. Um, while, along the way, you might find trinkets of people who have passed before and will tell you their stories. These are very grandiose ideas, yeah. but who would consider these ideas? Like, and I'm so proud to be a part of this. Um, the Game Heads program, we're hoping to grow, but I really want to see and just help these kids grow. And um, we've got a lot of good, since it's here in the Bay Area, we've been sourcing a lot of uh, just local mentors to come and work with the kids and just give them advice on how to succeed. Well, I've got one last question for you then, because a lot of our listeners are professional game developers, and I'm pretty sure after hearing that, some of them are definitely going to want to like, I want to research, I want to find out more, or maybe even I want to help remotely. Is that a possibility in any way? Absolutely. Okay. We've got someone who's like in Texas and I mean, we have the internet, yeah. right? We're talking right now. We don't even live in the same area. Yeah. You know, so yes, you can give advice. We have people who have Skype calls with their mentors every week. And it can happen. Um, so, yes, uh, if you want to be a part of the program, just do an internet search for Game Heads Oakland. Uh, Game Heads is all one word. Um, and you'll see the website there. There's a tab for mentors. Um, we may not be able to get you in for this semester or this, this particular class crop, but definitely in the future. Um, and if you want to donate, there's a place in there to donate um, funds. Uh, they have desperate need for laptops. Um, anything, time games, whatever you want to do, we'll take it. Hmm. Well, man, that's beautiful. I'm going to go sign that's up. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You might see Larry Charles on there for next hey, semester, but yeah, I'd be happy come to on through. Sometime. Come on through. Like anything is helpful. And, um, it, it's, it's a unique crop of kids. I love every one of them and they all have their own personalities and they, it's just, can you think of like the first time you made your first game? Man, you know, so long ago. Exactly, but then when it's actually done, like just you, even now looking back on it, you're probably like, "Man, that game was crap," but it was <laughs> yours, yeah. right? Like, and this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing these kids create, and uh, even if it's not like professional quality, there's something there that I, I can't. I'm so excited to see what they're going to show. So um, I'm hoping to. I'll be there this Saturday, helping out um, and uh, and doing whatever I can. Well, uh, since I'm the only one talking, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm Larry Charles. Thank you very much for listening to Game Dev Unchained. Good night. This is Brandon Fam. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Deuces. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.